Welcome to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Fantastic show for you today. On the line with us, U.S. Senate candidate. It's probably still a little weird hearing that, isn't it, Blake Masters? A little bit, and thank you, Sam. Blake, for those of you who don't know, COO of Teal Capital, uh, has a fantastic background, lives in Tucson. So he is near and dear to my heart because he's like the only other person I know around here who doesn't root for the ASU Sun Devils. (laughs) Scum Devils. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Blake. Blake, why don't you tell um, the audience a little bit about yourself and what led you to this moment to run for U.S. Senate? Sure, and thanks, Chuck. I uh, I grew up in Tucson. We moved here from Colorado when I was a small child, and uh, you know, I was in Tucson for high school. Love love the Sonoran Desert. Um, I did spend the first part of my career in Silicon Valley. I went up to Stanford and Stanford Law School for college and, and graduate school. Um, stayed in Silicon Valley for a number of years. I wrote a best selling book on startups and entrepreneurship with peter Thiel, who uh if you don't know peter he's uh a billionaire technology investor he was the one conservative you know uh super prominent guy in silicon valley in 2016 who's who publicly supported president trump in 2016 and uh so i run peter's nonprofit, the Thiel foundation and also his private investment office and uh I got a chance to move back to Tucson a couple of years ago, in 2018. My wife's parents still live in Tucson, and my parents still live in Tucson. Actually, I met my wife in Tucson in middle school, uh, so we've been dating for a long, long time. And uh, got to come back. We have three young children, uh, three boys. Apparently, we can only make boys. Yeah, they're <laughs> seven, five, and one years old. So uh, it's been great to be back home. And, you know, I, I started... Uh, trying to get plugged in politically in Arizona, you know, when I, when I moved back here in 2018. And of course I don't need to tell you guys how crazy it is. I think that we lost two U S Senate seats, you know, in a matter of two or three years. And uh, as soon as Mark Kelly, you know, was sort of certified the, the winner in 2020 here, I knew that uh, I, I had to do something about it. And so, you know, I've decided to run and I announced my candidacy on Monday and, you know, so far, I think we're off to a great start. You've been definitely getting a lot of buzz. I was sort of laughing the other day because it seems like they immediately jumped out and attacked you for, well, he doesn't actually live in Tucson his whole life. As you just said, you moved there when you were very young. This is the, literally the only attack I've seen them come up with on you is that you say you're from Tucson and they're like, oh, it's not been every second, every minute of his existence. Yeah, I, think yeah I think I've lived in Tucson more more years of my life than I haven't. And like, I, certainly you know. <laughs> more years than Mark Kelly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, who I don't know. People tell me he still lives in Houston, Texas. I don't I don't want to traffic in rumor. But uh, but yeah, look, I grew up here and here is home. Um, Blake. So why, why did you just you look you have this young family, um, your home, you're with by the by your parents, by your in-laws. Um you have a you have the comfortable life. You have a life where you could just continue on this path and um, continue to build things and enjoy it and not be under scrutiny. Why did you and your wife? Because it's a it's a partnership and it has to be a decision together. Why did you decide 
let's do this. Let's make this sacrifice for 18 months, which could possibly turn into a six-year sacrifice. What? Why did you decide to do that? Well, it would be great if I didn't feel like I had to. You know, if our leadership class was doing its job, if things were working, um, great. I would just continue to enjoy my current job and leave, leave my life. But none of those things are true. This country used to work. Uh, it used to work. It wasn't perfect. But even in the 90s when I was growing up, things seemed to work. There was some sort of cohesiveness. There was some sort of optimism about the future. And now things don't work anymore. Uh, and I think our leaders, especially, let's say this current crop of Democrats in charge, uh, have failed. And so if you look at the open border and the immigration crisis, or you look at how the economy is uh, is, is being squeezed, so we're squeezing out the middle class, people are having to work harder and harder just to stay in the same spot. Uh, you look at the craziness in schools, um, I just have a big problem with it. So I'm running to take on those problems because I want my kids and your kids to grow up in a country uh, that works and it's recognizable and it's going to have a successful future. You know, I, you, in your announcement, there's a, you made a statement that I've been saying for three decades, and it was a conservative principle is having an economy that if the family so decides, they only need one wage earner. And, you know, you have to, you know, you, you obviously put the caveat, you know, this could be, you know, when I first got married, my, my wife had made then a lot more money, um, you know, so it's, you know, determination of the couple, right? Um, were you surprised that people attacked you for making such an obvious policy statement that it'd be nice to have an economy where one income works for a family? I guess I was a little bit, and it, it takes a lot to surprise me these days. But yeah, the Pima County Democrats immediately seized on that statement and they wanted to call it sexist and say, oh, Blake is speaking in code. You know, one being able to get by on one income is code for women shouldn't work. And, you know, I I, I replied and it triggered this whole thing. But I'm like, no, what if it's not code? What if it is plain spoken English? (laughs) articulating the obvious goal that everybody should agree on. And we used to be able to do it in this country. Look, if two people in a, in a household, two, you want two wage earners, if, you know, if husband and wife want to work, fantastic. But like, wouldn't it be nice to have the option? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to afford to raise a family on just one income. I, I aspire to the world that you create for us where I can be a house husband, Blake. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's all, there you go. I'm it's like, all our dream for Sam Stone. <laughs> well, you know, and, and then, you know, if you look at the polling, this is what people want. Well, sure. You know, it turns out most people want to be able to get by on one household income. Well, sure. I mean, if we went, you and I picked any spot in Arizona, even in the most woke neighborhoods in, in Maricopa County, and went door to door. Do you think an economy where a family can decide they can live on one income is good? Uh, we'd probably what be eighty percent, ninety percent. And I'm sure all yeah, the we, single mom. And I'm sure all the single moms out there would certainly like to have an economy where they can work and not feel stressed because they have jobs that pay enough that they don't need to worry about other things. I mean, it's it's just the insanity right now of some people in our country that try to make everything such a woke enterprise. Well, look, we are talking about the Pima County Dems, right? Right. So uh, Arizona is back up. We've recovered 87% of the jobs we lost during the pandemic. Uh, National average is 70%. Well, here in Maricopa County, we're actually 134,000 jobs ahead 
So those Pima County Dems who run Tucson, who run Pima County, they're the ones holding this entire state back. I'm not taking economic advice from those folks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And look, they just so clearly don't care about solving actual problems for people like they didn't think about single mothers. I pointed this out on Twitter. I'm like the logical implication of what Pima County Dems was saying was that it ought to be harder for single moms to make it work. What it I, just makes no sense. They care more about identity politics than actually solving problems for real people. And that's well, no, super sick of that. They, I really do believe that there is a segment. I don't think it's a super ma- majority of, of, of the left, but there is a part that believe that if we keep doling out X, Y, Z, these people will stay loyal to us. It's mm-hmm. it's almost like indentured servitude to a degree. I've got this gentleman we've done business with in the past, and we were having a conversation this past week in Florida about him, and he loves to take all of his staff and friends out to these big trips, 50, 60 people. And they were saying, why does he do that? And I go, because he loves the love. I mean, he wants that, that adoration from people. And I almost feel like that's their policy position a lot of times. Just love us. And we'll keep you in where you're at so you'll continue to love us and thank us. And they don't mm-hmm. want people to have that independence. Right. Yeah, I think the the Democratic playbook for a long time has been to, uh, you know, obviously every every Democrat in power is is some sort of elite, a political elite, financial elite. Or even if you're, you know, making 40K a year working at, uh, I don't know, BuzzFeed or some liberal rag, um, you're still in the opinion making class. So the Democratic Party is the elites, the opinion makers. Uh, they don't care about hollowing out the middle class, but they they also have they want to shore up an underclass. Right. Um, people who are are on the dole, people who they don't actually care about providing opportunity to. And, you know, that that kind of looks like a Latin American country. Right. Right. When you have a thin stratified elite at the top that does well a hollowed up middle class and then a permanent underclass and so i think the opportunity right now for republicans people talk uh, i think online about like their realignment but the the realignment opportunity is for the republicans to come in and be the party of the working class you know also business owners who agree with our principles but really the party of the american middle class oh right left likes to give that lip service, but they don't actually do anything. Uh, We have an opportunity to do something and to rebuild and protect the American middle class. You know, I think, Blake, it it actually goes quite a bit further than that. If you look at the recent Pew poll uh, and and then surveys about where the two parties stand ideologically today versus 10 years ago, you see the Republican Party essentially in the exact same position it was. The Democratic Party has gone way off to the left. And if you look at that Pew survey that just came out of attitudes among minority voters across the country, they're saying they don't buy this. I mean, this is a, a really Ivy League sort of mentality of uh, really paternalism, that they're, they want these you know, handful of big tech companies that donate a huge amount of money to Democrats, have a, 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 you know, a bunch of millionaires working for them, and then everyone else is on the government dole just scratching by. And those policies don't resonate with the middle class. They don't resonate with the working class. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And and well said. Um, Blake, yeah, go ahead, Chuck. Let me ask you this, Blake. So you're you're going you're running you're running for office this U.S. Senate. Um, if you win, what what are the two or three items that you want to see get accomplished during your 
tenured, and we can even you know, we can carry this over to the next break after the break. What are the two or three items that you feel like if I can accomplish these things, not only will my tenure be successful, but my country will be a better place for my kids and grandkids? Um, let's let's hear yeah, about that. Yeah, first, first I think uh, you know, the top priority I would say is law and order, and the first bullet point in that law and order bucket is. Uh, stopping this immigration crisis, this illegal immigration crisis, um, and the acute yeah. crisis, by the way. I think Biden's been in office less than 180 days, and we've seen just how bad... 100, 180 days of lawlessness and broken potholes will be coming right back. The 2020 election is over. Now it's time for you to get ready to run for 2022. First step, getting your .vote campaign web address with your first and last name. Say your name is Janet Jones. A web address like www.janetjones.vote is the perfect way to get voters to remember your name all the while reminding them to vote. Visit GoDaddy today to kick off your 2022 campaign right. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us, Arizona U.S. Senate candidate and hopefully future U.S. Senator Blake Masters. And Blake, when we went to break, you were talking about your three priorities when you you get to the Senate. And I'm just going to say get to the Senate because I think it'd be fantastic to have you in there. Started out with law and order. Tell us a little bit more about that, because this has been really the consuming national issue right now, whether it's the border, whether it's what's gone on in our inner cities, the movement to defund the police, all these things I think are top of mind for, for voters across the country. Exactly, Sam. And the border crisis, it, it really is a crisis. I'm not going to pretend like everything was perfect in December 2020, you know, at the end of the Trump administration. Um, but it was under control. It was a lot better than it was in 2015 before President Trump took office. And when Biden took office late January this year, he reversed all these policies that the administration, the Trump administration had put in place and basically invited immigrants to come here. Right. He dropped remain in Mexico and said, if you come here, you can stay. And so surprise, surprise, people come here and it is a humanitarian disaster. You know, drugs are flowing through the border. Every one, one thing I like to point out, most people don't know this. Every illegal immigrant that comes through the border, the, the gaps in the border wall, they're basically trafficked by coyotes. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to pay coyotes a few thousand bucks per person to get in. If you try to do that without going through the coyotes, which are basically agents of cartels, they're happy to shoot you dead. And so everybody's being trafficked. Women and children are being raped. Uh, and it's just unforgivable. And then when they get here, there's like hotels in two, there's tent cities in Tucson, hotels in Tucson, hotels in Scottsdale that are, you know, taxpayer funded, full of uh, migrants who we've let come here. You go to any public park in Tucson, you'll find Americans, often military veterans who are homeless. Some have mental health issues and they need help. And we're not doing anything to help those people. So it's a complete reversal of uh priorities here 
And everybody I talk to on the ground is just sick of the lawlessness. So we have to finish the wall. You got to hire a lot more border uh, patrol and you got to give them the resources they need so that we can have a tight border and we get to decide who comes in here in a legal and orderly fashion. Well, I was that just, I think is priority number one. Absolutely. I was just in Miami this week and had various meetings um, with people down there and um, the people in Miami are just boggled by the Biden administration coming out so hard saying <laughs> Cubans and Haitians, we're not going to accept you coming across the water to the shores here. And they're just like, but it's okay for them to walk across Mexico to get there. And they just, it's they almost just, like the Democrats, uh, the only group of immigrants they will, you know, <laughs> reject are the ones they suspect. Yeah, we'll move to Miami and vote Republican. Yeah, I mean, so we I had to get me- too I, conspiratorial here, but no, no, well, it's no. it's true. I mean, look, correct. I had I had meeting with a, a group of Cuban activists. I had meetings with um, a Haitian activists, and they were just dumbfounded by it. And the Haitians are not a conservative group, but I really think this one flipped the trigger on it. They just they were appalled by it, and just and, they, and they're the ones that pointed that out. And the Cubans just like, well, it's always been a double standard with. Democrats on the immigration, right? Mm-hmm. So be consistent. Pick one or pick the other, but be consistent. And it's not a consistent policy whatsoever. Well, and and across the board, Chuck and Blake, it's an it, in terms of a humanitarian policy, it is a complete and utter failure. Because Blake, you talked about the coyotes and the fact that absolutely you're right. If you cross the border here in Arizona, in Texas, in New Mexico, in California, you do it under the auspices of an international criminal cartel that will absolutely kill you if you try to, to buck the system. But the ones ending up in those hotels you referred to in Scottsdale, we have Manawatuki, they're all over Tucson, all over Arizona. Those are the lucky ones. Because if right. you're not lucky, you end up in a cartel safe house where despite the fact that you've paid them, they ransom you. I, I mean, this is the most exploitative thing possible, and Democrats are cheering it on a humanitarian crisis of unimaginable proportions. Right. And I think we need conservative politicians to, you know, get up and say this and be unafraid about it and say, no, actually, a border wall is good policy. It's good policy for Americans and it's good policy uh, for non-Americans. Frankly, it's the humanitarian thing to do. Like it truly is. Um, And it's not racist. It's not retrograde. It's not anything untoward it's it's common sense and uh you know I'm, I'm certainly not afraid to say it even mexico said that the remain in mexico policy was working to limit the problem right i, I mean this yeah. is democrats are really operating in an alternate reality here and i want to touch on the other two issues you mentioned because i think in both of those they're operating in an alternate reality as well well, yeah, the other aspect to the you know law and order problem is it doesn't stop at the border, right? We have a law and order problem in our cities. Um, I, I think a lot of this uh, has been a slow boil. It's happened over many years. But a lot of it has to do with just what people saw on TV, or at least on Fox. I'm not sure CNN would cover it. But last summer, during the sort of you know post-George Floyd uh blm protests you know people were lighting police precincts on fire and getting away with it people were smashing windows and grabbing merchandise trying looting and rioting trying to burn down buildings with cops inside them cops and then the cops just 
leave, you know, because maybe, you know, that police uh, chief was, you know, simpatico with the rioters and we need to understand our privilege or something like that. Like we've lost the will to actually enforce the law. We have a national culture that's building that's anti-police. The media and most politicians um, are finding it profitable to be anti-police. And this is really dangerous. I used to live in San Francisco uh, and they've basically legalized crime in San Francisco up to a certain dollar amount. You can just steal stuff. And even if a police officer is right there, they're sort of told not to enforce the law. So if you have an iPhone and I go and, you know, push you down on the ground and snatch your iPhone, it's no longer your iPhone. It belongs to me. And so when the state is unwilling to enforce basic property rights, this emboldens criminals. It makes it literally impossible for police to do their jobs. And surprise, surprise, we get a violent crime spike all throughout this country. Yeah, I mean, perfect example right here in Phoenix. Our police chief actually basically told the mayor to go stick it because our, our mayor told the police to stand down during those protests, during those riots. And the police chief refused. The department refused. But now you've got a council majority of progressives that are pushing for a hundred million dollar settlement for the protesters who were arrested. And these folks, what fiend, they were running around smashing windows, smashing police cars. One of them was running around popping tires on every government vehicle in sight. The, these are lawless individuals. And they're saying that not only should we not be able to arrest them, but if because we did, we have to pay them off. This is this is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I just can't work. People won't stand for it. I talked to police officers in Phoenix and they definitely feel defunded. Um, they're they're losing officers uh, because it's a hard and thankless job. And so if politicians not just don't have their backs, but are affirmatively hostile to them. You know, well, guys might be looking to take early retirement and then which new young talented recruits are looking to become police right now. And then you get a really negative feedback loop uh, and crime is just going to keep going up and up. The fear is in five short years, Phoenix may look a lot like, you know, downtown Los Angeles in terms of urban crime. And we cannot let that happen. Broken potholes coming back in just a moment. When you're running for office, your name is on the ballot. So why not have your website be your name? If your name is John Smith, you need a .vote web address that says www.johnsmith.vote. 2022 will come faster than you think. Visit GoDaddy today and kick off your new campaign with a new personalized web address. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us today, Blake Masters, U.S. Senate candidate here in Arizona, COO of Teal Capital. All around interesting guy, fantastic life story. Talking about some big issues. Wanted to touch on two more that we haven't gotten to. Education and big tech. Education is really lighting up this country right now, isn't it? Uh, there, Blake, there is a huge movement of parents who are just fed up that's right i think the zoom school experience you know where during this pandemic all the school locked down and you got to keep the kids at home and okay pretend that they're still going to school so we're going to pipe in lessons you know to their computer over the internet via zoom well 
obviously that doesn't work. It's not great, great for kids. Um, but one thing that it did do was it finally showed parents, you know, who are right there in the living room, what's actually happening in their kids' schools. I think parents were shocked by it because, you know, we'll talk about critical race theory, right? This uh, basically just describes a set of curriculum that's teaching kids to identify with each other in racial terms. So if you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, uh, you know, you are a victim victim. or something like this. It teaches race essentialism, which is obviously really toxic stuff. It's the opposite of, you know, sort of everything that we're supposed to be teaching people about, you know, content of your character, not the color of your skin. Um, But this stuff actually isn't new. It's not like people just decided to start teaching this stuff in 2018. I think we're just realizing it. And now there's this movement uh, against it. And I, you know, it can't, can't be successful enough because what's that Reagan quote if you uh, or, or, or freedom is only one generation away from extinction mm-hmm. yes now this is something I would not have understood as well maybe 10 years ago but now that I have kids and now that I see you know what's actually um, the mainstream in our classrooms I really think it's true if you teach a whole generation of kids to hate their country to think it's irredeemably evil and to identify with each other in racial terms, I th- I think you don't have a good future. It's just that simple. Blake, the society just, will break. Blake, you just brought up a great point. Um, what has having kids changed your perspective? So, for example, your your children have taught you a principle that, yes, it is literally one generation away, right? What are other things that you've learned that you're applying to life now or to policy that you didn't know before kids? One thing it's taught me just having kids and having to care for them is, you know, you can't take things for granted. And I think this is natural in some sense, like you don't realize how much your parents did for you until you have to do the same for a brand new baby. Like you just don't, you sort of know it maybe intellectually, but it's different to change the diapers at 4am. It's different to like, you know, teach a kid to ride a bike. I mean, these are beautiful moments, but it's, 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 it's just great. There's a grave responsibility that you feel sort of instantly when you have to care for your own new child. And I think the zooming out, it kind of makes me just appreciate all the generations that have gone before us. You know, going back, hey, thousands of years, you know, it's great. <laughs> People dealt with a lot of a, a lot of adversity, to say the least, just to get us to where we are here in Western civilization. But specifically in the American context, like our prior generations, you know, like the greatest generation who, you know, fought the Nazis, beat the Japanese, beat the Russians. Um, these people sacrificed a lot to build this country. Our founding generation sacrificed a lot to build this country. And that's why it makes me so mad that now what's in vogue in sort of liberal elite society is just to throw all this stuff away. They want to wipe away all the past and say, it's all evil. It's all racist. And it's just so self-centered not to recognize that we stand on the shoulders here of all the generations that have come before us. I think we should respect our history. Yeah. Understand the dark, Parts and try to get towards that m- ever more perfect union, but recognizing the rich traditions that got us here 
and paying respect to them, I think is super important. I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago before I had kids. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I keep going back to is in the last couple of decades, how the progressive sort of ideology, which is really our societal ideology for how you raise kids, has said that everyone's what they did in the past was wrong and kind of thrown. I'm not talking about abusing children or that kind of thing, but in terms of discipline, in terms of requiring, uh, you know, kids to participate in family life and civic life and all these things. They went away from all that, and I got to look back and say, you know, we did a pretty good job here of creating good Americans for generations. And then you look at this current generation, and they're out of control. I'm not, I'm not even going to ask you to comment on that, Blake. Broken Potholes, coming right back. You know what they say, politics is just show business for ugly people. Well, that's not the case. So get your face on your official .vote campaign web address. Jokes are funny, politics are not. Get your .vote web address from 101domain.com or godaddy.com today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes, airing Saturdays at 9.60, The Patriot. You can also catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Look up Broken Potholes. You'll find us. Our web genius, Jamie, promises. She's cringing right now. Blake, before we went to break, we wanted to also talk a little bit about some of the other things you're, you're really focused on. One of those is big tech. I think you have a really unique perspective coming from you know, working with really one of the very few or only Republicans, prominent Republicans, prominent conservatives in that industry. The role it has had in the last year and a half has just expanded enormously. You know, what do you see going on? What can people do to sort of stop this out of control, the censorship, the the influence that is coming from this massive industry? First, I'd note, we call these companies uh, big tech. That's the label we've sort of given to them. I'm not sure it's actually the best description of what's happening. They're plenty big, but there's not a whole lot of new technology being developed at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter. So I think we should uh, start by calling these companies what they are, which is giant software monopolies. And uh, you know, props to them for innovating at some point. At a certain point though, they have reached such a gigantic scale. They've been able to amass so much data on all of us. They've been able to more or less monopolize the free flow of information in our society that when they start to abuse their bigness and abuse their power, when they start to get political, when they put their thumb on the scale, when Twitter bans a sitting United States president from its platform, I think we need to be very open to regulating them, to preventing abuses. And, you know, this is something that conservatives didn't want to hear five or six years ago. And maybe fair enough because the problems weren't quite as acute then. But at a certain point, no, you treat a giant multinational corporation like Google, which has the power to swing an election. It's okay to treat them differently than you might treat a hair salon. 
it's interesting because, you know, that former president who got banned on Twitter, Donald Trump, is right now suing some of those companies uh, for their abridgment of the First Amendment. And interestingly enough, I think Jen Psaki just became his the, the White House uh, communications director or spokesperson just became his star witness when she went out yesterday and said, we are actively coordinating with social media companies to stop messages that we think are inappropriate. It, that means government is, censor, is is working with them. That means they are absolutely bound by the First Amendment. Doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I, I, my comment on that on Twitter was Facebook is an extension of the Biden administration. And you know what? I'm not sure I didn't have that reversed. Maybe the Biden administration is just an extension of Facebook. There is a fusion in this country, an alarming fusion of corporate and political power. So when you have every Fortune 500 company, or most of them anyway, that are basically happy to parrot progressive activist DNC talking points about BLM, about defund the police, you get in the situation that is is really quite concerning. It, it, it isn't a free market at all. And this is why Republicans you know, need to actually rediscover our rich tradition of being skeptical of concentrations of power, certainly governmental, but also corporate. And this is a Barry Goldwater point. This is a Theodore Roosevelt point. In order to preserve freedom, it's not just about keeping the government small, although that's good too. We really have to watch out for this creep where Facebook and the White House start to blend together because you wouldn't want any misinformation to spread. That's Orwellian. And frankly, it's kind of fascist. People object to, to these comparisons a little bit. But if you look at China, they are clearly making a very deliberative effort to use their tech industry to influence world politics based on the interest of the, the Chinese Communist Party. And it's clear the Democrats have taken up that model from them. I, you know, I'm going to make a historical analogy that I'm probably going to get a lot of people upset. But if you go back to the 1930s, one of the first things the Nazi party did was co-opt the giant manufacturing companies, the biggest companies in Germany, to participate alongside them by promising them exclusive access to the market through the government. What do we have Democrats doing now? Isn't it the same thing? Looks a lot like the same thing. It looks a lot like, yeah, the Chinese model. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party uh, you know, is a totalitarian communist state. But they're not making the same mistakes Mao did. They're not skipping the capitalist stage. Um, they've they've wisened up. They actually read their marks more closely than Mao. And so you have this yeah, elite dominated society um, where the CCP promulgates what people are allowed to think. No dissent is allowed. And like you said, they're happy to keep, you know, industry technically in private hands. Technically, Mark Zuckerberg right owns the majority of Facebook. But functionally, uh, it starts to blend in and is con- controlled by the state. And so the question in America is, are we going to let that happen? Are we going to let these big tech companies and you know the Democrat progressive activist class run roughshod over the rest of us? Or no, are we going to push back? Are we going to uh, keep them at bay? And are we going to preserve some space for actual free thinking? and free discussion of ideas in the future. That's the only way we can possibly have a good future. Blake, um, on a foreign policy, how, as a U.S. senator, what would be your policy about handling China? 
you know, China is very, uh, besides the mayhem they cause around the world, they're also very good at filling a void. So, for example, when we say we're not going to go help Haiti, China is going to be there. When we say we're not going to help some other third world country, they pop in. What would be your stance on how we confront um, China, and lack of a better word, China's aggressive policy towards the world and making sure that they're doing everything possible to protect their party's interest? I think we do it with strength, but not with, uh, you know, provocation. We don't want to get involved in faraway wars that have nothing to do with China. That shows weakness, and it allows China to get into Africa. The, The longer we're in Afghanistan, or the longer we're obsessed with somehow, you know, exporting democracy to Syria, the more China is just going to say, well, you know, we'll go industrialize Africa. We'll go take over South America. If we say, hey, China, you're China. You can't have Taiwan. You can't have the rest of the world. You know, China's going to fall in line. China's not going to look to start World War III if we have a strong military presence that is also restrained. And that's what I think Donald Trump, for the, you know, more than any other president in recent memory, was achieving. If you think about who the CCP wanted to be president, did they want Joe Biden or did they want Donald Trump? Who would they rather have in office? The answer is obviously Joe Biden, because then they just get a clearer shot at Taiwan. I don't know if they take that shot in the next two years or in 20 years, but they had a preference here. And that should tell us a lot. Yeah, no question about that at all. You mentioned what they're doing in Africa and in South America. One of the things I think a lot of people miss, and we've talked about it on the show before, is that what they're engaged in is economic imperialism. Uh, they are going in, and all these countries, frankly, got got used to a sort of Western free ride where the IMF and other institutions would loan them huge amounts of money for ongoing needs or for infrastructure. And then they got to the point they couldn't pay it back, and, it, you know, Western countries go, eh, well, okay, just, we'll wipe that off the books and call it good. China doesn't do that. They go in and actually foreclose upon the infrastructure and take it over. And they are taking over these countries, one port, one bridge, one rail station at a time. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. And you know what? It's made all the more frustrating because we basically let China do that. Not just in the immediate sense in the last couple of years, but decades long. Like We industrialized China. We mm-hmm. gave them the keys. We offshored our manufacturing base, our industrial capacity to China. You look at semiconductors, like we invented the computer chip. That's why it's called Silicon Valley. We invented that in California in the 50s and 60s. And pretty soon we're not making computer chips at home anymore. We offshored the entire thing to Southeast Asia. And now half of them are made in Taiwan. So if yeah. China were to seize Taiwan, well, we already got a chip shortage. We already can't make Ford F-150s here in America because we can't get the computer chips. And that's a national security threat. It's a, it's a we, huge... We just let that happen, and we got to reverse the policies that led to it. We're with Blake Masters, Republican candidate for U.S. Senate here in Arizona. And, Blake, as we wrap up here, um, tell people where they can find you and tell them why they should vote for you. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. Please go to my website, which is blakemasters.com. Just a quick aside, I hope you see that the website is actually very different from most political candidates. Most political candidates' websites look all the same. It's kind of hard to navigate all the different pages. you got pop-ups coming at you everywhere. Uh, I wanted one page. I wanted to very clearly state my position, 
on the issues. People might disagree with them. People might agree with them. But you can't scan the website for one minute without seeing what I actually think and what I actually stand for. Hopefully that's refreshing, but you can learn more at blakemasters.com. And uh, look, I think I'm running a different kind of campaign, running a different kind of candidacy here. I think people are ready for frank talk. I think people are ready for conservative solutions. Uh, I think people are ready to stop being lied to. And so, hey, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But I will always, you know, call out what I see. Uh, I see the progressive takeover of this country. I don't think it's going to end up well. I'm going to give it everything I have to fight against it. And, uh, yeah, Chuck, Sam, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Blake. We appreciate it, and good luck on the trail. Absolutely. Thank Thank you. That was Blake Masters, Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. Um, We've all met Blake before. we didn't talk about, you know, is, you know, what's amazing about him is he was a Stanford undergrad, Stanford Law School grad. He's been there. He did not become taken by the the woke, shallow ideology that you see a lot coming from both coasts now. And, um, you know, the other good thing is we have two great names, Sam Stone, Blake Masters. I mean, ladies, is, is there are there better solid names than Blake Masters and Sam Stone? Kylie Kipper. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to work for anybody. She's irrepressible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, if you add irrepressible, which is, I do not think is on her birth certificate, yes. It is not. Well, yeah. but we make we can make that change. Yeah. So we're going to do our sunshine moment now, and um, Kylie has worked feverishly on this, and here we go. Kylie wow. Kipper with the sunshine moment. The sunshiniest moment today. Which is a good thing to bring up after talking about China, but continue. Yes. Well, I was going to talk about the 300 words that got added to the dictionary, but once I looked further into it, it kind of wasn't all that exciting. No, it would it would not. The words, people the words back. that got added were not all cheerful. So let's just, we're not no, going to talk about that. No. All right. But, all right. Okay. So McCormick, the food company known as the seasoning, or known for making seasonings and spices, is hiring for a taco director of taco relations and they're looking to pay anyone who simply loves eating mexican food so i thought this was going to be a good spot for me because i love eating mexican food i'm the person that orders four bowls of chips and can't stop until they said that it's that, by the way that really doesn't count no <laughs> that's just but i i experience all sorts of mexican food if, if, I, it, if it has cheddar cheese on it it doesn't count either yeah but so you're you're a connoisseur of chips is what we've learned so far but continue and tacos and burritos i tried all <laughs> Yeah. Um, but anyways, I thought it was for me until they said that I had to develop my own recipes. Oh. And I have, to have these type of skills, which I do not. I'm not the best cook, aside from making pasta. Have you tried to become a good cook? No, I haven't. But maybe so. You, so maybe you don't I know. Should. So you're underestimating your skill set. Yes, exactly. I burn frozen pizza, so I just don't. Okay, think so it's maybe in my you're cards. not. Maybe you're not underestimating. Maybe you're just true to yourself. And you've been introspective about it. But yes. So they will be in charge of tasting um, inspirational taco recipes. They're going to be taco have to do taco food trends on TikTok and social media, and they're really just trying to expand. You know, the problem with food now is <laughs> I remember reading a couple of years ago um, a New York Times article by the food critic, been there for years, and he went on this whole diatribe about restaurants trying to be so fancy mm-hmm. that they give these names these these various vegetables and things names so he mentioned one i forget what it was he goes that's just simply a purple carrot you yeah. know and and i feel it's the same thing like this taco tester look a taco's great because you go and you have your chicken or your beef some cheese some lettuce some salsa on it and some sour cream maybe okay, and you're okay, good to fo- go folks 
Chuck doesn't know what a taco is either. <laughs> He's from Utah. You got to give him a pass. So they're not going to pay me a hundred grand. Yeah. Broken potholes coming back next week. Running for office? You need a campaign website. Introducing the web address of the democratic process, .vote. So how do you purchase your .vote website? Visit www.yourname.vote. Type your website name, example www.johnsmith.vote. It's available. Add your web address to your cart and check out. Once checked out and have received confirmation, you may begin to create and utilize your website to connect and engage voters. To learn more, visit get.vote. Happy campaigning.